to our band. And as Brett has mentioned a couple times this morning, uh, we are very fortunate to have Aaron Hess giving the message today. Uh, some of you know Aaron pretty well. Some of you just know him as that guy, that mysterious guy who plays the bass back in that corner there. Uh, but after this morning, we'll all get to know him a little bit better. I had the chance to get a sneak preview of today's message, and I'm very excited about what God has for us today. And so without further delay, please join me in welcoming our friend Aaron Hess up to the stage. Aaron. Check one, two. Am I on? You guys can hear me? Great. All right, show of hands. This was not planned, but show of hands. How many of you guys have spoken publicly in front of people before? Oh, a bunch of you. Do you guys get that, like, nervous feeling, that, like, tightness in your chest right here? I was feeling really great until about five minutes ago. But uh, we'll just consider that an attack from the enemy and press on. Press on. All right. Um, so, yeah, there's some new people here since the last time I spoke. Last time I spoke here was in 2020, I think. And Josh, we were doing a series on money. And I spoke and talked about... Uh, personal finance and that sort of stuff. So since then, there's some people here that I haven't seen before, so hello. Yeah, like Josh said, I play bass up here. Um, I have a beautiful wife, three beautiful daughters, and uh, just honored that Josh gave me the responsibility of speaking again. I said yes, because it's hard to say no when uh, the pastor goes, hey, I want, you, I want you to speak, so. All right, let me get myself situated here. Give me a second. Bear with me. Still getting over the nerves. All right. So, Josh asked me to speak. There was no theme. Last time it was easy. He goes, I'm doing a money series. And Aaron, you uh, facilitated a FPU class, so why don't you talk about money? And I had a theme, and I had a, a mission and a goal. And I was like, all right, here we go. I can do this. I can talk about money. There's a lot the Bible has to say about money. And this time he said, um, hey, you want to talk about something? I was like... Yeah, okay. And then I'm sitting there. I was actually sitting at my desk at work, not doing work, thinking like, i got to stand up in front of people and talk for a while about something. So I'm like, all right, God, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Um, and what came to me is something that I've been mulling over and wrestling with a little bit over the years. And uh, maybe I'll give another plug for Jeff Schmidt's uh, men's group. We were sitting in men's group, I think, maybe up here, and I was asking like, like, all right, so we have all these problems in the world that everybody's arguing about. Um, how are Christians specifically supposed to interact with the world? Do you remember this? It was a long time ago. but And uh, that's, that's something that's sort of been on my mind and been on my heart for a long time because I find that within the realm of Christendom, the ones, the Christians who end up on the news, who end up with loud public voices in the public eye, typically are not being living examples of Christ, are they? Yeah, they're, they're saying hateful things, they're spewing untruths, they're being loud and getting attention, but they're not, they're not really being a witness to Christ, for Christ. Um, couple that with everything going on in our world, divisiveness, institutions being torn down, rewritten, we're grappling with national questions of identity, who are we, where do we want this country to go, how should we be, how should we treat other people, and those are hard questions to answer when you're in a country of 320 million people. So I think maybe, uh, maybe it's best to boil those questions, the big issues, down to 
the individual? I think there's two main questions that are universal across the human experience, and that's, who am I? And why am I here? And I think not having answers to those questions is at the root of every disagreement about what we should do, who we should be friends with, what job we should take, who we should marry, what electives do I take in school? I think that's the fundamental question at the root of all of these issues that crop up. So I've broken this, in my outline here, I've broken this down into uh, to the questions, those two questions, and then turn into the Bible to maybe try to find some answers to it. So the big one, the first one is, who am I? I mean, there are, there are a million ways you can approach this. There's a million answers that anybody's going to give you. Some people define themselves by uh, the work that they do. Men are notorious for this. You know, you say, like, when you meet somebody, what's the first question? Well, what do you do? Right? That's, that's, that's important to us. That's important to us. It's what we ask first. What do you do? Uh, for me, I, uh, I'm a production manager at a company that builds displays and trade shows. That's what I do. When you say it like that, it's like, well, that's, that's cool. I mean, it pays the bills, feeds my, feeds my kids, and uh, yeah, it's not very important, is it? That doesn't seem fundamental to my identity. Other people will define themselves by uh, their relationships with other people, which I think is more noble, maybe, than defining yourself by your work, your profession. And that's also important. You go to a, grave uh, you know, a, a graveyard, and what's, what's on all the tombstones right above the date? It's a name and then a relationship. It's mother, son. It's important to us. We carve it into rock. So I think we're getting a little bit closer to our identities now. But maybe that's, maybe that's not even fully dialed in. And then you have, the, you, have the, uh, you have people who will define themselves by what they're, interested in, what they're interested in and what they're passionate about and what really like moves their spirits. You have people who love... Traveling the world, I'm a world traveler. Or you have activists, or you have thinkers, philosophers. Maybe not too many of those these days. Um, I think the, uh, in the West, at least, in our country, there's been a, maybe in the last century, the humanist movement has installed this idea that your identity, your sense of self, your sense of who you are is found from within, Right? You look into your feelings, you look into your internal sense, and you arrive at a conclusion. And this has become so pervasive that these days, people will say out loud, I identify as XYZ, whatever they identify as. That's common in our lexicon now. I mean, this, this ideology would even suggest that humans are the ultimate arbiter of that. There is no outside influence that determines who we are. And it, it, it makes sense on a super, superficial level, right? Because, you know, what you, how you feel about yourself, your sense of self-worth, can't be defined by anyone else, right? When you think about it, you know, like, I'm confident, I'm nervous, I'm scared. That's, nobody, nobody can tell you how you feel. Right? So it seems like that's maybe the ultimate in definition of identity, but our faith holds that God, as the creator of the universe, as the sole uncreated being, he has always existed and created everything, 
Only he can identify his creation. So we have to turn not inward to ourselves and not outward to maybe our affiliation with some group. Well, we have to turn to God and the book full of his words for a revelation of our identity. And this book, I'm sure if you've read it, if you've read any bit of it, is full of, is chock full of God through prophets, through burning bushes, speaking directly through angels and through other people, speaking to individuals and to groups of people and identifying them and calling them out specifically. So what I've done here is I've pulled out just a couple examples. There's not a comprehensive list of, of the identity of the individual in relationship to God. But I pulled out a couple of them just so we can start to dive in and view who we are. And this is the, this is the verse that was read, the first one in John 1.12. Um, Yet to all who did receive him, and we're talking about Jesus now, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's your first one. First little bit of your identity, our identity, as believers in Christ. Child of God. What else are we? 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'm going to run through these pretty quick, I think. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So you are a child of God and a new creation. Ephesians 2.10. We know we're a child of God. We know we're a creation of God. We are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. Jeremiah, God talks about, uh, I believe it was Jeremiah, the metaphor of the, uh, the potter. God's the potter and we're the clay. You remember that one? God molds us. And in Philippians 3.20, oh, so now we're talking about something different here. Our, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are creation. We are a child of God. We are God's handiwork. And we are citizens of God's kingdom. And then in 1 Peter, we're getting away from the individual again. We're going to the collective, speaking to the church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. So here we have... Only a couple, I read off four right now, glimpses into what God has defined us as, what our identity is in him. And then the last two, in Philippians and 1 Peter, we go from, in these verses, they call, they call out identity, and then they begin to call out purpose. So we have a brief, a, I'll call it an overview of who we are, and then we come up to the next question. All right, I know who I am. Uh, what am I supposed to do about it? Okay, I'm a child of God, God loves me. I mean, this is, this is a little bit remedial, right? You learned this in Sunday school, Jesus loves you, this I know. We sing songs about it. But it's fundamental, isn't it? Because it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget. If you start listening to the news too much, if you start uh, paying attention to social media too much, it's real easy to forget who you are. You start to get defined by, uh, by what you put into yourself right? What you consume. So I think it's good to go back to. So we have who am I? Next fundamental question, what do I do about it? And why am I here? Again, the world will give you many 
attempts at an answer for this. Everybody's familiar with the Darwinian theory, right? Darwinian notions hold that life arose spontaneously and without intentional cause. It happened in the primor primordial ooze, I think, right? Where amino acids came together and formed a protein, and from that, life arose, and now we've arrived here. Hedonistic theory will prioritize the pursuit of pleasure as the ultimate purpose and driver of action. If it feels good, it must be good, and that's worth doing. And that's essentially the basic theory of hedonism, which, I mean, hey, it works. Nobody likes pain. Nobody likes discomfort. My phone's ringing. Interboro School District. All right. I'll put that down. That threw me off. All right. <laughs> what else we got? What's another example of a worldly purpose? Oh, here we go. Existentialists. Remember the existentialist from like 11th grade English class? Anybody? Like Thoreau. I think he was a transcendentalist, but very similar. Ex existentialists will believe purpose is decided from within, which kind of goes back to that humanist movement we were talking about identity. But our faith will hold that, like identity, our creator created each of us with a specific purpose and a mission. And then I started, as I was writing this, I'm like, all right, purpose, purpose, purpose. What exactly does purpose mean? So I went to the dictionary. Dictionary defines purpose as the reason for which something is created. That's pretty simple. Or the reason for which something exists. There you go. God's given us a roadmap in here to discover what his purpose is for us. He's given a compass. Now, as I've read through this, and I'm, I'm not a biblical scholar, as I've read through this, I haven't seen anything that'll tell me, like, whether or not I should get a new job. Those answers aren't in here. Because God's purpose is bigger, right? He's not going to tell you whether or not uh, you should keep dating that person. Because the purpose is bigger. The ultimate end is bigger than the minutia of our daily life decisions. But, in here, there's, he's got a lot to say about what we're supposed to do. So, in the interest of avoiding becoming legalistic, I don't know if you guys remember Josh's, I don't know, you still do it, but a while back you gave a lot of sermons about, are we just checking boxes? Everybody remember this one? Are we just doing what we're supposed to do and then we're a good Christian and then we're going to go to heaven? Or are we actually actively diving in to a difficult and hard walk in the way that God wants us to live? So, I'm going to list off some things and we're going to read some, read some of the word here, but I want, you, I want everybody to keep in mind that this is not do this and you will be satisfied. Do this and you will be a good Christian. That's not, that's not the point of, of what we're saying here. We're saying God's given us commands. He says do this. And we understand that the purpose is that we can live in accordance with his will for us. And in that, we will find our sense of purpose. Our purpose isn't defined, and I'll, I'll reiterate it, it's not defined by what you do. It's not defined by the small decisions. It's to, our purpose is defined in living in accordance with God's will for us. How do we discover the will? It's in the book. So let's dive in. I broke this out into, uh, how many, two? Two broad categories. We have biological purpose, a tangible purpose, things you can touch and see, and we have relational purpose. Biological purpose, super simple. First command that God gave to humans in Genesis 1. Anybody know it? You can yell it out. We'll do a little interaction. Nobody? First one. Be fruitful and multiply. 
First one. And then uh, God destroyed the earth with a flood. Okay. <laughs> so. And then, in Genesis again, in Genesis 9, God commanded Noah and his lineage, his sons and their wives, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, anybody know? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill up the earth. So purpose could be found in multiplying. I think we know what that means. And then, we'll go forward a couple, a couple books in the, uh, in the Bible. In Deuteronomy. This is uh, Abraham speaking to the Israelites. Well, quoting God what God said to him. God says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. So we're called to multiply. We're called to have babies. And we're called to raise them up in the way that God intends to obey his commands so that it will go well with us forever. Purpose can be found in reproducing. Purpose can be found in honoring God by raising those babies well. We have our biological purpose, and then also within the tangible, we have a stewardship purpose. Stewardship's a very Christian word. I don't think you hear it anywhere else outside of church. But we have a responsibility and a duty to the earth that God created. So, Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply, and subdue the earth, and have dominion over the fish in the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I think, uh, I don't want to dive too much into this, but I think maybe perhaps in this day and age we're neglecting that a little bit. And I think uh, the Israelites neglected that a little bit too, because in Jeremiah 2.7, we get a strong admonishment to the nation of Israel for neglecting their duty that God called them out. He says, I brought you into a plentiful land, to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. So I, think, I mean, I think God takes it pretty seriously that we steward the earth that he's given to us and put under our control, that we're not wasteful, that we're not negligent in the management thereof. And also in Deuteronomy, what happens if we do it right? What happens if we live in accordance with what God said? Deuteronomy 28.12, the Lord will open up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. Purpose is found in managing the earth well in accordance with God's command. And then last, in the, in the tangible, uh, and I won't linger here too long, you can go back and listen to my sermon on money, but responsibility for the things immediately under your control, your personal assets, your wealth. Proverbs, if you've ever gone through the book of Proverbs, it's chock full of wisdom about how to manage what you have, how to steward your resources, and how to honor God with all of it. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go too much into that. <laughs> but, all right. Then you have, in the, uh, in the realm of purpose and why we're here and what we're supposed to do on this planet, we've gone through the physical, and then we have relational, which is something that... Uh, I think Tasha would tell you I have a harder time with. I'm definitely uh, really good at thinking about the tangible things that you can, you can touch and see with your hands. Managing relationships and doing that right is a, uh, it's a work in progress for me. Is that right? Yeah. I'm trying. I'm getting there. 
But here's what I've learned, and probably most of this comes from Tasha. But <laughs> she's like, it's so obvious. You don't get this? Um, all right, so I think, uh, where, where am I at? Where am I at? Oh, look at my notes. Bear with me. My throat is dry. All right. Relational purpose. The mysteries of marriage. Yeah, in, uh, in Ephesians 5.32, Paul references Genesis. Genesis 2.24. I think you guys are familiar with this verse. It's oft quoted. Man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Lots of shells in there. Like This is something we're probably supposed to be thinking about. And then uh, when Paul references this in Ephesians, he, references, he calls this a profound mystery, that they shall become one flesh. Literally, Paul, who I've, I've got a lot of respect for the guy, he's, he wrote a lot of books, he's got a lot of wisdom, spoke on God's behalf a lot, and still he called it, he called the nature of marriage, that they shall become one flesh, a profound mystery, which I thought, that kind of blew me away when I read that again. And it is. I think if anybody here is married, that's, there's a lot going on under the surface that I can't even dissect. Yeah, I, it's, it really, man, that's a hard one. However, uh, I digress. <laughs> um, there is a, if you're looking for purpose in your life, man, your wife will give you one. That's all I'm saying. She'll, it, man, I'm getting flustered here. I'm trying to, trying to, speak with confidence about marriage when it's such a profound thing that I can't really begin to understand. However, all I can say is that there's a lot of purpose found in it. I'll move on. Marriage, so what are we talking about? Purpose found in relationships, marriage, and then you have your relationship as a believer in Christ to the secular community. And here's another plug for a men's group because we went through uh, the city study. It was Tim Keller, right? Directly pulling from Tim Keller right now. Jeremiah 29.7. We have a responsibility to our community. This is um, Jeremiah speaking to the uh, Israelites exiled out of Israel into Babylon. Jeremiah says, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And then New Testament in Luke 14. This is Jesus Speaking to the Pharisees, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisee that had invited him into his home, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Purpose is found in giving to and building up your local community. And I know I don't have to speak too much more about this because that's what this whole church is about. We're a Hope Community Church, and we are here for the community. And Josh has made that abundantly clear. And look, it's right there in the Bible. And then finally, relationships... Uh, Intimate relationships, secular community, and then you have a duty and a command 
and purpose can be found in your relationship with the church, the collective body of believers. Romans, where are we? Romans 12, 13 through 17. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Which is a almost impossible command, isn't it? That's a lot to live up to in that one. But purpose can be found in relating with and treating members of the church in accordance with God's will. What else do we have in here? Oh, yeah, this one's hard. It's, yeah, Paul harps on this one a lot. First Corinthians, he says pretty much the same thing, isn't it? I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. There it is, united in purpose. And then, uh, I'm not going to dive into it, but again in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the body of Christ, body of Christ. How we are all individuals that make up the collective body, and we each have a unique role, we each have a unique purpose to serve in it. So I haven't, and I don't think I can, really give much more than a, a primer into the answers to the fundamental questions that we're challenged with throughout our lives. I think what can be found in Scripture is complex. It's a profound mystery. And only through study of it can we begin to answer, can we begin to discover the answers that God has provided to us. I'm no expert in this, but the more I read into it, the more clarity I've been able to discern and I'm grateful for it. And I would encourage everybody here, if you've ever struggled with one of those questions, those fundamentals, who am I, why am I here, what am I supposed to be doing, what's the point of all of this, I'd encourage you to dive into it too because the answers that you find out there don't last. They break down. They fall apart. But the answers in the book, maybe they're really, really hard to understand sometimes. And maybe you read through it and you get more questions than you went in with. But there is a property about this that is unwavering and unchanging. Doesn't matter what my opinions are about it. This doesn't change. In 50 years, I've said this to Tasha, we look back on slavery, and I said this when you, we were talking about this, I said we look back on slavery in disgust. And yet, what are we doing now that the world says this is right and this is good and this is proper, that in 50 years we'll look back, in 100 years, we'll look back on us in 2022 and go, can you believe it? Can you believe they did that and they thought it was okay? Our perceptions, our opinions, our own social mores and values 
undulate and waver, but this doesn't. This is the roadmap. This is the compass that points us to where we need to go. And I don't know how... I can't, I can't imagine a different... I can't imagine trusting something that is so susceptible to change, right? This is the, this is the thing. It's, all right, I'm getting long-winded here, but... I don't know. I think that's about all I had to say. I'll close it out. Actually, I've got to write down in my notes here. Write down things specifically. I'm going to close this out in prayer. If you give me one more second. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that you've given us in the good book that point us to the way that we should go. We know that we know that the deceiver, the enemy, will try to usurp your plan. We know we're going to face roadblocks and obstacles as we go down the path. I pray that you would give us the courage to make the right choices, the courage to follow you when it's uncomfortable, the courage to live in your plan, in your purpose for us, even when it's contrary to the pressures and the tide of the way our, the world's going. I pray you give us the wisdom to discern it when we're faced with the big questions. What am I doing here? Who am I? I pray that you give us the clarity. Spirit, I pray that you, you nudge us in the right direction, that we turn to your word and not away from it when we're doubting, when we're confused, when we feel lost. And thank you again for your love for us, God, that you would, that you cared, that you created us and you cared about us so much that you took the time to put all of this into a big, long, confusing book that's really hard to understand. Thank you for caring for us so much that you gave us this roadmap. I pray that as we, as we go through our lives, as we, as we confront these things, that we would always, again, that we would always fall back on you as the anchor, as the immovable, as the reference point for our decisions. pray all that in your name. Amen.